You see it. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. If this is your first time here, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and just grateful that you're choosing to spend a portion of your uh, Sunday here with us and, um, and just thrilled that you're here. And if you're watching online today, thank you for watching online. So um, we know that for some folks, uh, you know, it's hard to get here and for one reason or another and grateful that we have online as well. So um, just happy that we're all in this together. We're in this series uh, called First Love uh, where we're taking a look um, over several weeks, um, a couple months actually, uh, in the letter to the church at Ephesus called Ephesians. And so if you're not familiar with your Bible, uh, your Bible's broken up into the Old and New Testament, and the hinge point is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, uh, and then when that ends up happening is the church becomes established, and then these letters that are written by some of the fathers of the church movement. And so Paul was one of these writers, and he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. And um, this letter would have circulated to a bunch of other churches as well in that area. Um, but this letter, uh, essentially what he's doing, he's telling this like high dramatic story uh, of the truth of the realities of Jesus. And and like what it means uh, for our lives. And then he moves into, this is what we happened last week, he moves into um, talking about like, what does it look like to practically live this out? Like, how does it look and, and how, how do we live it out in a way that people are like, ah, that's Jesus. Or, ah, man, it really has completely reshaped your life. And so um, we've seen this kind of consistently that Paul is trying to push those that follow Jesus to understand like, hey, this is a really big deal how we live. This is a really big deal on how we begin to interact with the people around us. And, you know, one of the, uh, or it's just a two things that really started coming up when we think about uh, what Paul's writing is he's always has this element where he's like, he's revealing something, like meaning that, man, God has revealed something to him. The spirit of God is moving through. He wants to reveal something. And in that revelation, he's reconciling us to something else. So, so we see quite often what Paul writes. He's like, hey, I'm revealing this about God. And then it reconciles you to God and to the people around you. And so that's been a consistent theme uh, every single week. Well, he's moved into this idea of... Um, whether we're a new creation and we're made alive in Christ. And so when you think of, if I were to say, hey, what do you think of when, when, when they hear the words new creation? There are a lot of different things that can come up. I asked some of the people on staff uh, the other day in the office, and I was like, hey, I was like, when I say new creation, what do you think of? And, and uh, one person just said, hey, something emerging from the ground, right? Like some, there's like something new sprouting up. Uh, another person just said a, a crying baby, right? And a new creation. Um, uh, another person talked about artwork, that something was being created. And then oddly, two people said, like, new age swirly stuff. <laughs> I don't know if that says something about our staff, but two people thought the same thing. So, um, but that was um, what I was thinking about with, with, with this new creation. Well, what's interesting is the Bible is fixated on this the idea of, like, new creation, that uh, you are not left the same. And so to follow Jesus then and to allow Jesus and the Spirit of God begin to work in us, uh, we're not the same person, right? We aren't the, like, sure, there are elements of us that are similar, meaning like, for me, it's like, all right, did I like sports before Jesus? Yes, and I still like sports now, right? Like, those things are, are still there. But, but what happens is it's like we are a brand new creation, we're brand new, and, and we're made alive into something that we begin to see things so radically differently. And so when you look at Scripture and you begin to read your Bible, you'll just see this kind of theme woven in everywhere, literally. And I really mean this. From the start in Genesis, 
where it starts off as like a creation element, it quickly moves into, hey, we want to get you back to the creative element, all right, into that new creation, how things are supposed to be restored. And you see this from the start to the very end of your Bible. And so even Jesus, when he was um, talking in John chapter 3, he, Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, and they're talking about, like, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to, to um, really experience this life? And Jesus actually said it this way in John uh, 3, verse 3. He says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, so he cannot see it. So here's what he's saying. Until you experience this new creation and new life in Jesus, you actually can't see the kingdom of God. Like it, doesn't even, it doesn't even register to you. So to someone that, you know, isn't following Jesus, they aren't sitting there walking around being like, oh, there's Jesus, or oh, the Spirit's moving there. Like they, they don't do that. You know why? Because they don't see it. It's not a part of them. They, they have not been created in that way as a, as a new creation. It just hasn't happened. And so what Jesus is saying here is like, you can't see the kingdom of God until you are born again. Like there's something like that you are a new creation in Christ. And we know this, right? Like when you were, uh, when you think about people's testimonies and you think about like um, the, the transformative element in them, it's like when you share your story about coming to faith, you're like, I used to see something one way and now I don't see it that way anymore. Like everything begins to shift. And, and, then, and then once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? And so there are things like that in, in culture. Let me give you some examples of that. Um, this FedEx logo, right? Uh, Daniel was talking about this earlier, but um, I did not see it, but you can't unsee it now. But do you see this right here? There's an arrow in the FedEx logo. You know, it talks about like moving forward. And so, but once you know it's there, now you know it's there. Like, you, you, like now you can't stop seeing it. So if whenever you see the FedEx logo again, you're like, ah, oh, there's the arrow, right? Like it's, it's there. Um, another one is this. This is a drowning sign at uh, a lake, and it's supposed to be someone in the water, but it looks like it says what? Drowning, LOL. Like, call 911. And so, um, but once you see it, you can't like unsee it in the same way. Um, or, or this one, right? I don't know if you guys have ever seen these, you've probably hung them up, but it looks like a drunk octopus, right? And so, next time you hang it up, that's all that'll be in your head, because once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so Jesus is saying that, hey, once you see the kingdom of God and you're made alive in it, you can't unsee it. You, there'll be a part of you that will always try and go back. And we're going to talk about that today. But it's like you, you can't unsee it once you've like truly, truly seen it. And this becomes like a way for us to begin to distinguish whether or not we are, we are in with Jesus and actually following him or not. Or whether it was actually real in us or not. See, when someone's like, hey, I can actually quickly unsee something, or like, man, I'm that whole Jesus thing, like, that's like foreign to me, it's not a big deal, and, and like, it's not even part of my life, and it's not, uh, you know, it's like, that's all like a myth and all this other stuff. It's like, man, in that moment, it, 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 in all likelihood, it probably wasn't ever real to them. Because what we constantly see in Scripture is that, man, when it becomes real and you are made alive in it, you cannot unsee it. You can't do it. It's that powerful. Sometimes we try to belittle the, the, the power of Jesus. And we try to make it all about, yeah, it's like, yeah, I raised my hand. I said yes to Jesus. It was cool. Like, it was like emotional and like kind of like moved on, you know? And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a little emotional. I get that part. 
But I'm telling you, like the transformative work of Jesus, one who, who died on a cross and rose again and defeated evil, like even just kind of logically we think about it and it's like, mm, that should probably transform my life a little bit. It shouldn't be just normal, right? And so what Paul is going to start talking about here in Ephesians 4 is that um, this new self, this new creation, and there's a difference between your new self and your old self, right? So we're going to be Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. And it says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. So Paul's not like playing around here. He's like, I'm telling you this, but I'm, I'm insisting on it as like, and he's the leader, right? So he's like, if your boss says, I insist that you do this, you're not going to say, I guess, take it or leave it, right? Like, you're going to do it, right? Because your boss, well, he is the leader of this. He's like, I'm insisting on you that you do this. He says that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And so Paul is describing what it's like to live as a Gentile. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So Paul's saying this, and you can imagine if you are a Gentile and you hear this for the first time, you're like, dude, like, that's aggressive, like talking about us. But here's how what he's, he's separating here. He's not just saying like, like just Gentiles as people. He, he's like, he's using kind of Gentiles as like, man, they're outside of God's people. And things begin to shift once you become inside, right? And part of God's people. And so he's describing it in this way that when you're outside, he's using Gentiles and it is descriptive as once the Gentiles were outside of God's people, but they're brought in. And here's what happens when you're outside of God's presence. And so he's like, that's the old self. He goes, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, again, who you used to be, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be what? Made what? in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Now, how cool is this? Created to be like who? Can you guys read? <laughs> to, be, to be created like who? Um, in true righteousness and holiness, all right? So he's describing this like crazy cool thing. He's like, listen, you were once outside your old self. What was in this new self? that you are created to be like God, all right? Now, that should trigger something in our minds um, when we think about we should be created to be what? Image bearers of God. And so what's he pointing back to? The creation story, right? How things are supposed to be. And so you were created to be this way, to, to be like God. And so what do we learn from this? Well, here's some descriptors of the old self, all right? Here's some descriptors of the old self that Paul puts in there. He says, your old self meaning when you were uh, separated from God, meaning when you weren't following Jesus, when that was not a part of your life and the decision that you made. Here, here's the descriptions that Paul gives for people like that. Again, these are, it's interesting because again, we can't ignore 
uh, the realities of what Paul writes here. And some of them are tough and aggressive and how he begins to describe what life is outside of Christ and what it's like inside of it. And um, part of the beauty of doing a book study like this, um, because listen, I was telling Lacey, uh, I'm prepping for the next few weeks. Nicole will be back next week talking about anger and um, how our words uh, matter and everything else. And in the subsequent three weeks, we're being in Ephesians chapter five. And it is like tough. It's tough. And there's some harsh things in there and everything. And I'm like, man, what's cool about the Bible when you kind of do a book study is like this, you cannot avoid the hard things that Paul says. You cannot avoid the hard things. Like if we want to do like a topical thing, you're like, ooh, I like this one. I'll just choose these for like little verses here. I'll make it sound all nice. But, but what Paul's saying is pretty aggressive, right? He's like, hey, when you were outside of Christ, this is who you are. You have fruitless thinking. You have a darkened understanding You're separated from God. There's an ignorance of the truth. We have a hardened heart. And the way the Bible often describes a hardened heart is that you fight so much for what you want and then God's just finding like, fine, do whatever you want. And you get the consequences of that. And, and so it's like our hearts become hardened. A lack of sensitivity to the spirit. Like we have no awareness how the spirit is actually moving. Um, we're pleasure driven. Like we have this, uh, the reality is that we're, we're um, everything is like just for me. If it feels good, I'll do it. And then we're selfish and greedy and we're never satisfied. This insatiable desire that we have, right? Nothing's ever enough. And so Paul's like, that's who you are outside of Christ. Now, I want to pause there for a second because you might feel like, well, sometimes I feel like I'm in Christ and I still feel some of those things. And, um, and it can be true, right? Well, what is that? It's this tension that we feel. This, it's like, ah, I, I want to go back to something. I want to go back to that for some reason. It's this kind of tension that we feel inside of us. But, you know, I was thinking about this list and it's easy, honestly, to be like, oh man, that's hard, or oh man, that's not me, or, or whatever. But I started even thinking about myself. Um, there was a, a point in my life where this was clearly me. But then there was another point, and this is like the sneaky part of it, uh, where you can hide this part. Meaning, um, I was actually making pretty good decisions in my life, and I was a pretty good dude. Um, and I didn't feel like I was like really hurting anybody or anything. And, and for, if the outsider looking in would have thought, of like, man, Wags has his stuff together. You know, he makes good sound decisions in his life and whatever. But truthfully, if I really were to break it down, I was incredibly selfish and greedy. I was pleasure driven. I lacked sensitivity to the spirit. I was living my life just for myself. And my heart was still kind of hard. Because a lot of times we see this, we're like, mm, those are the really bad people. Right? Those are the people that we see on the news. Those are the people that make all those mistakes. Like, those are, like, like, thank God I'm not that. But really, if you break down who you are, and you start thinking about your thoughts and, and, and your actions or lack of action or whatever, and it's like, hmm, how much of that really is me? And how much of a pull do I feel back towards those things and that old self? And so Paul's trying to get us to think, and like, hey, I need you to know this. I need you to know what the old self is really is. And, and here's how we try to put on our old self. Here are a few examples. We'll believe the lies we tell ourselves. We'll believe lies that we tell ourselves. It's like when I'm trying to go back in, it's like without trying to accept, accept, like we're just saying about the promises of God. Without trying to accept the promises, that like I want to anchor myself to the promises of God. 
than my new self. And so if I, if I don't accept that and I, and I keep trying to like this tension that's kind of pulling me back to the old self, you start believing the lies you tell yourself. You go back to old habits. You go back to old habits that you know aren't good, but you go back to them. Uh, you lack boundaries in your life. All of a sudden, it's just a free-for-all. It's so funny sometimes when I have counseling sessions with people and we'll talk about um, boundaries, and um, whether it's a couple or an individual. I start talking about boundaries, and, and they'll be like, I'll be, what, what boundaries do you have? Like when you're, if you're a married couple, like what boundaries do you have for your marriage? I don't know. And I'm like, oh, this is, you're going you're gonna to fail. Even when I, when I sit down with individuals, I'm like, all right, what boundaries do you have set up? I don't know. I'm like, this is going to be really hard. You might get lucky, but it's going to be really hard. And so you've got to understand what boundaries you have set up in your life to, to be able to have the most freedom. Uh, we ignore spiritual disciplines. We ignore spiritual disciplines. We lack, uh, we have a lack of confession and vulnerability. Um, we become consumed by worldly desires and worries. Um, our priorities are completely disordered. Like it, they're just, everything's in the wrong spot. And what is that? We're fighting for the old self. You, you feel the tension, and these become indicators that you are moving towards, you're like, there's something that pulled back to the old self, and we all feel it. We all can sense it. We all can have moments where it's, it's worse than others. Even God's people of Israel, there's a point where God literally takes them out of slavery, right? And frees them. And they're, they're in the wilderness. He's, provide, he's like raining manna down from heaven and all this other stuff, right? And, and these miracles are happening for the people of Israel. And at one point in time, they're literally saying this. We used to have honey with our bread. And there was this pull to be like, do we want to go back to Egypt and back in this? Because we had honey then. And so we, we can feel that. And it might, you got to figure out which that is for you. Like, what's your honey? But you feel that pull back. And so Paul's like, man, these, this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. Here's what I want us to remember. The new self is not a better version of the old self. You are a new creation. So it isn't just a tweak. It isn't like God comes in and he's like, hey, let me just shake this up a little bit in you. It's like, no, 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 no. You are a new creation. You are made new. You are made alive because the old version of you was dead. And you're like, but I was breathing. I'm like, not really. It changes everything. It's like in the creation story, um, Adam was, uh, uh, it says in, in Genesis chapter two that, that Adam was formed. So he had a human form. But it wasn't until the Spirit of God breathed life into him that actually made him alive. And so it's the same thing that, man, to our old self, it, you look like a human. And you walk around and you do things like a human does, but you're not really alive. Why is that? Because Paul would say, man, you are made new, made alive, that there's a breath of God that has to be breathed into you. And it changes everything. So, so what does he want us to know in the new creation state? One, we know better. When you're in the new creation state, you start to know better. Like you, you start having more wisdom in your actions. You start engaging life around you very differently. Uh, it does not mean you'll be perfect, okay? Um, if you're around someone in your life who's a, a Christian and you're like, oh my gosh, you're just so perfect. Like either they're lying and lack vulnerability or you're missing something in them. 
right? Nobody is perfect. And so you're going to have your struggles and you're going to have your fights and you're going to have like these times of kind of internal conflict and these battles. Like it's just a reality. No one's perfect, but you will know better in your new creative state. You'll know. You'll, you'll know in these moments and you'll feel the tension. Even if you act on some of that tension sometimes, you, you know better now. You're like, that's not who I'm supposed to be. It's not what I'm supposed to do. And you begin to know a lot better. Um, you start speaking truth to the lies you tell yourself. Those lies, you're like, I, you know, you might say like, I, I am this way or I know this or whatever it is. And, and whatever you're, you're saying to yourself, what, what Paul would say is like, man, your new creative state is like, I'm going to speak truth to those lies. I'm not that person. Um, how many of you guys have felt shame before? Yeah. You know, shame, uh, shame often will try to tell you who you are, right? And shame will just, like what it does, it heaps on you. And it's like tries to be an identity marker for us, right? And, um, and so what ends up happening in our new creation state, it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let shame speak into me like that. You can feel it and know it, but it's like, no, no, I'm going to speak truth to that shame because that is not me. I'm a new creation made alive in Christ. That is not me. Shame will not, shame will lose its power in the new creative state. <laughs> I love what Jesus says in John 3 verse 21. He says this, in that same conversation I said earlier, he was having Nicodemus. He says, but whoever lives by truth comes into the light, right? So the man, that that piece of shame, like, let me bring that into the light and I'm going to expose it. He's like, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And it's like, when we're in this new creative state, it's like, we're going to take that shame, we're going to take those lies, we're going to expose it. We're not going to hide it anymore. And when we bring it into the light of God, we begin to experience the truth of who Jesus is within us. We begin to stop saying things like, I've gone too far. No, you haven't gone too far for God's grace, right? It's like, no, no, let me bring into the light the things. Think about how often you've been shameful of something. What's the first thing you do with your shame? You hide. You hide. And so what Jesus says is like, no, 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 when you're born again, what do you want to do? You want to expose it into the light. Because when you can expose something into the light, what, what ends up happening? It hurts at first, doesn't it, right? When you come from darkness to light, it always hurts. Like this morning, um, you know, I woke up at 5.15 and it's all dark and, and I go into getting ready to take a shower and I turn the, the bathroom light on and, and it hurts, right? Every, it's just like, ah, right? Like it hurts. It takes a second. But man, like that's what it's like. I want to expose everything to Jesus. It might hurt on the front end, y'all. It, it will hurt. That confession and vulnerability that happens when you expose it to the light, though it hurts on the front end, but I'm telling you, what? You'll get used to it, and then eventually it's like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to go. And this is who I'm supposed to be. And that changes everything. You see, here's what the old self will try to do. The old self will try to convince you that you aren't worth it, while the new self reminds you Jesus already showed you that you are. Jesus, when he got up on that cross, and he died for our sin, he forgives us sins, and he rose again and defeats evil. He, in that moment, here's what we've got to understand. Jesus is telling us, like, you're worth it. Um, so often, you know, people will feel like they're not worth it. They'll feel like there's too much guilt, there's too much shame, there's too much, whatever the thing is, like, heaped onto them. And they just feel like they're just not worth it. 
And I just want you to hear, if that's you today, that Jesus has said that you are. He said that you are. And in this new self, in this new creative state, it's like we begin to not only believe it, we begin to own it, and we put on this new self daily. Here's the second thing that we want to remember, that there's a change in perspective in this new creative state. Our minds are literally renewed. Um, you know, when you get a new, uh, uh, um, new information come into your brain, your prefrontal co cortex will begin to light up. And if, it, and if it's new information that you want to keep having in your brain and you do it repetitively, um, that information actually moves into a different part of your brain and eventually becomes a habit. All right? So on the front end, it's like everything just like lights up and it's like, oh man, everything's beginning to shift and change. And then, and then what ends up happening is moved into another part and becomes kind of a normative way of thinking. And so what ends up happening is the same thing. It's like, well, this Jesus thing is a new thing and everything lights up. And then the rhythm of your life begins put in the right spots and then becomes normative that, man, this is my new perspective. My mind has shifted. My mind has truly changed. The way I begin to see life around me is radically different. Everything begins to shift and change. The way I was thinking about it um, this week is that the old self says your salvation is built around discovering yourself and only stay committed to what benefits you, right? That's what the old self tells you. Here's your truth. Discover yourself. Be the best version of you. And only be committed to what benefits you. But the new self listens to Jesus and says, no, we die to ourselves and live out what Jesus taught. Our minds are completely reshaped. Our perspective on what our life is actually about totally changes. And we begin to see everything differently. Everything. See, our old self will say to deny yourself is like archaic and repressive. But man, the new self says this is where you find real life. This is where you find like, man, the right desires. This is where your priorities get in the right place. This is when everything starts to change. In this new perspective, in this new mindset, and the change in our mindset, what ends up happening is we no longer try to uh, diminish the realities and the power of who God is and what this message of Jesus actually is. Rather than simply just saying, uh, this is just a normal thing in my life and it's okay. It's like, no, we understand the power of what we're doing. We understand the power of what has happened. Even when we're just singing here, I was like, man, do we understand what we're singing when we talk about like the promises of God? Do we understand like when we talk about the 10,000 armies, that like, God's like just stronger than all of that stuff. Um, I've been thinking so much about singing and I'll talk more about it in a few weeks. But I'm thinking so much recently just about like singing and like posture when we sing and the power of what we're doing when we're singing. Think about this. When we sing a song, um, here's what we're doing, like in this moment. We're literally declaring to one another the words of that song. We're, when we're singing together, we're declaring to one another the words of that song. We're also declaring something to God, and this is the most important part, something to God of like what we think of him. And here's what else we're doing. This is like the crazy part of singing. We're also declaring something to the powers in the heavenly realms. Because that's what Paul would say. 
There's all this stuff happening in the heaven realm. So here's what you, like you are, you are saying this to the powers. You know, in the beginning of this series, we talked about the devil, the world, and the flesh, right? And it's like, we're, we're, when we're singing, we're saying something to them. And we're saying something to, to, to everyone else here. We're saying something to God. So it isn't just, I'm just singing. It's like, whoa, if I realize what I'm doing in this moment, should that not change our posture? I'm not saying all of a sudden you went from not singing at all, like this morning, like this, and not singing, to all of a sudden you're just like, ah! Like I'm not saying, maybe, you could be. Um, but it should change our posture. And it should change our heart. Um, even this last song that we're going to sing, uh, can we put the lyrics up for the last song out and we roll through them? I know this is, they, this is not planned, sorry. Um, but I want to like go through the lyrics because I want you to see what you're about to sing in this last song, right? So it says, I don't believe in fairy tales. I guess I've outgrown them. It's like, it's not, I mean, it's, it's not about this like mythical stuff, right? I've outgrown that stuff. Go to the next one. But that doesn't mean that I don't believe that there's something bigger than me. Because I've seen in a hospital room when the doctor said, sorry, there's nothing more we can do. And then it says, well, it wasn't through. And he, even in those moments, right, we're like, there's something bigger going on. And I'm going to declare this. It says, I've never seen a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow, right? It's not lucky charms. But like, it's like, but I've got a promise I can hold in the middle of the struggle. So think about when you're singing those words, we're declaring that in the middle of a struggle, like there's a promise that I hold on to. Something else is going to try and speak something else to you, but I'm going to sing something different. It says, but here's what I'll do. I keep going. All right, and then I'm going to wait on you. And here's what you're saying. God, I'm, going to, I'm not going to try and go before you. I'm not going to like fall too far behind. I'm, just, I'm going to wait on you because I trust in who you are. Why do I trust in who you are? The next one. I've tasted your goodness. I'll trust in your promise. And it says again, I'm going to wait on you. And here's what you just, man, I've tasted your goodness, God. And, I've, and I'm going to trust in your promise. And you might be in the midst of like a hard time right now in your life. And you are declaring to God, you're declaring to the people around you, you are declaring to the devil and to the world and to the flesh that this, I have tasted the goodness of God. And no matter what you try to say to me, I'm telling you, I've tasted the goodness of God. I'm going to wait on him. And it keeps going, keep, keep going through there. Keep going, keep going, keep going. All right, it says, man, on all these questions that I have, they come second to what? The one I know is true. And it, what, what is that? And then what you're saying, I might have doubts, I'm in the, but I know what is true. And what are you going to do? I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. Why? Because I've trusted in your goodness and I've trusted in your promise. Go, keep going. We're going to roll through this song. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. All right, this part. He will renew your strength. I love this part of the song because here's what we'll do in that moment when we sing to one another. There's going to be someone next. Here's the power of singing. I'm going to be, man, I'm going to be preaching my sermon three weeks from now. But the, this is the power of singing sometimes. There are going to be people around you who don't want to utter those words. And so when you sing, he will renew your strength. You are declaring that to someone else in this room. Because if you're like me, there's been moments where you've felt like, I don't want to sing that. And then you hear a crowd of people singing around you and you're like, mm, I think that's true. And there's something that happens inside of us. And then the song continues. Keep going to the end where he talks about 
the run not weary part. Can we get there? Yeah, so this part here, this part is actually from Isaiah 40. And that whole passage in Isaiah 40 is describing the creator of the universe does not get tired, does not get weary. And that the creator of the universe has looked at his people and says, guess what? I'm going to renew you and strengthen you in such a powerful way. Now, the way that Isaiah 40 talks about it is that even the youth get tired and faint, right? The strength of those that wait, what? They're way in the world, renew their strength. Why not go away? Like, that's an old song. But it's like, I'm telling you, like, this is what begins to happen in you. And so we begin to sing this, like, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. They shall walk and not weary. They shall run and not faint. That is what happens when you wait. Our mindset begins to change. Our perspective begins to radically change. And so when we sing, it's like, whoa. It's not just, that's oh, cool, we're singing together, right? We all know this. Like, like, I'm sorry if you're watching online, but it ain't the same online as it is in here. Like when you see a song, like when we used to pre-record everything and we put that on the screen, right? Was it fine? Sure. It's nice to hear them. Like the band's great and they all sound great. Like, but you come in the room and they start singing that and you're like, mm, that's different. It's different. It's like this is, like we're, we are boldly declaring to one another, to who God is and to the devil, the world and the flesh that I know what happens when I wait. Here's the last point. I'm going to be quick because I didn't plan on doing what I just did. Um, we make better decisions. We make better decisions. That's the last one. Here's what happens in our better decisions. You ready? Less guilt and more conviction. Here's what I mean by that. Um, guilt, here's how I think about guilt. All right, you guys can argue this. It's fine. But here's just how I process it. Guilt always makes me run away from God, but conviction makes me run to him. And so in this new creation state, man, everything begins to change. We make better, so, so there's less guilt. I'm not running away from God. There's more conviction. I'm running to him. There's less regret and more confidence. Less regret and more confidence. There's less individualism and more community. We are more engaged in our community. Not just in Richmond, but also here at Hill City. We, we are more engaged with one another. And in this new creation state, we have less impulse and more self-control. Less impulse and more self-control. Um, <laughs> it's funny sometimes when I'm having like faith conversations with people and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, as you continue to like grow in this, like here's what will happen. Like you'll have more self-control. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, this is how the God works in us. It's like, man, you, you have more self-control. And, and self-control is like fascinating because self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. You, we know that, right? Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, or, and self-control. Like self-control. And so here, I wrote this down about self-control. And so self-control means the Spirit is at work in you. All right? We're making better decisions. Self-control leads to flourishing in your life because you're like, I'm putting up boundaries with people. Man, I'm not doing that anymore. It leads to flourishing in your life. Self-control helps reorder priorities and self-edit your desires. You start seeing like, ah, mm, that desire is not right. I don't think that way anymore. 
And the last one there, self-control leads to better habits. Self-control leads to better habits. And when I say this about habits, just think about this. This is the last thought. And then we're going to pray and sing. How many habits do you have in your life right now that lead you closer to Jesus? If the answer is none, you won't get closer. I don't want us to try and reach for our old self because their old self is dead. I want us to have life in Christ. Can you all bow your heads? I just want us to process here for a minute together and um, what God might be speaking to your heart and then we're going to sing this song that I ran through here. So God, as we are preparing our hearts to sing this last song together, one, I just, I hope we truly will begin to wrestle with the realities of, am I, what self am I trying to hold on to? Am I reaching back for this old self that actually doesn't bring life? Or am I fully embracing the realities of being a new creation in you and made alive in you? that allows me to know better, changes my perspective, and we begin to make better decisions, and we begin to see life so differently. We all have that choice to make and steps to take. And God, as we begin to engage this last song, I pray that as we begin to sing, our posture begins to shift and change because we begin to understand what we're saying and who we're saying it to. That one, we are worshiping you and singing to you. Two, that we are boldly proclaiming something to one another. And that three, that we are, we are actively responding to the devil, the world, and the flesh and saying, no, 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 let me tell you about what's true. So God, may you continue to just work on our high, in our hearts so that we can feel truly and fully alive in you. In your name we say, Amen. We got to stand and sing this last song.